from TomDispatch.com, this is TomCast. Interviews and insight from Tom Dispatch contributors for anyone seeking a deeper understanding of our post-9-11 world and a clear sense of how our global imperial system actually works. I'm Timothy McBain. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking again with Chase Madar, a New York-based attorney and author of The Passion of Bradley Manning, which was just released by OR Books. In part two of our two-part podcast, Madar talks about his research for the book and the future of private first-class Bradley Manning. Talking about your book, I'm curious about the research that you did because you offer a very thorough glimpse into Manning's childhood, um, his military experience, and his private life. How did you uncover this information? Well, my book is in part a sympathetic portrait of Bradley Manning. He's typical of the millennial generation in many ways. He has not had great economic opportunity, didn't get much support from his parents or from the state in furthering his education to the university level, despite being someone who won his high school science fair three years in a row. He's someone who had to move in with his parents, got thrown out after a quarrel with his stepmother, and joined the military in large part because he wanted the GI Bill to cover his college expenses, which is one reason why a great many people were joining the military, especially in 2007 when recruitments were at an historic low. I've talked to a couple people who are at the military base in Iraq where Bradley Manning served in U.S. Army Intelligence, forward operating base Hammer. I have talked to a great many experts on solitary confinement, on the laws of war, and uh, on whistleblowers. What makes this, this case so compelling, it's not just Bradley Manning's individual story, although it certainly is fascinating and a real tearjerker. It's also the number of very important issues that collide in this case. Our profligate use of solitary confinement, both in the war on terror and as an everyday fact here in the domestic criminal justice system. The extreme secrecy that pervades Washington. We classify 77 million documents a year. To what end? Does that really make us safer? What is the threat to our national security? Is it whistleblowers and WikiLeaks? Or is it the extreme secrecy that chokes out informed public discourse? One of the primary documents for anyone who wants to write about Bradley Manning or even learn about him is the long, five-day-long chat log between Manning and Adrian Lamo, who's a renowned hacker but also a federal informant who turned Bradley Manning into the authorities. These chat logs cover a great deal. They cover Bradley Manning's motives for why he allegedly leaked these important documents. They cover a lot of Bradley Manning's life story of growing up as a gay atheist in a small, heavily evangelical town in northern Oklahoma. They cover his thoughts on war, on the need for a well-informed body politic that can make well-informed decisions. And they cover the truth about the Iraq war. Bradley Manning, while serving in U.S. Army intelligence, got wind of the fact that a group of nonviolent protesters, Iraqi protesters, had been arrested by the Iraqi federal police simply because they had been handing out a pamphlet that was looking into corruption in the Iraqi government. And there is plenty of corruption in the Iraqi government. Now, this concerned Bradley Manning because he knew that 
the habit that torture was very widespread and being committed left and right by the Iraqi authorities. It was the official policy we now know, thanks to Bradley Manning, of the U.S. military to turn a blind eye to the torture being committed. And we have copious documentation by the U.S. military of the torture and the horrible results of it being committed by Iraqi authorities right under the noses of our military, which should be shocking. After all, the name of the mission was Iraqi Freedom, and the fact that after we invaded, we just sat back and took notes while the Iraqi authorities continued their habit of torturing Iraqi prisoners ought to be very disturbing to us. And this, it becomes clear from the chat logs, is what pushed Bradley Manning to do what he allegedly did, leaking the information so that we here at home in the United States would know the truth about this war. You suggest that Manning's fate is essentially a foregone conclusion. How do you see this playing out? I wish I could be optimistic about how this court-martial is going to wind up, but I think it is a sure thing that Bradley Manning is going to be convicted and given a hefty sentence of at least 50 years. The political climate in this country is still full of fear and still full of unfounded hysteria about national security. We need to realize that whistleblowers and WikiLeaks are not the problem. They are part of the solution in giving us knowledge that we need to make better informed decisions. We're coming out of a decade of disastrous failure in American statecraft that has killed thousands of people, including some 8,000 American soldiers and military contractors, and untold numbers of Iraqis and Afghans. And to think that the real threat to us is knowledge is just absurd. We need to get over this fear of knowledge. If we think that what is making us safe is ignorance, then we are doomed to continue the disastrous foreign policy that has caused so much destruction in the world in the past 10 years, not to mention caused a great deal of damage to Americans. read Chase Madar's article, What the Laws of War Allow, Do the WikiLeaks War Logs Reveal War Crimes or the Poverty of International Law? Please visit TomDispatch.com. You can also order his book, The Passion of Bradley Manning, in paperback or as an ebook at orbooks.com. To hear part one of this interview, please visit TomDispatch.blogspot.com. I'm Timothy McBain, and until we meet again, thanks for listening.